0: Welcome to People & Profit, I'm Kate Moody.
1: And I'm Charles Pégrin. We're looking back at some of the business stories that shaped 2022, coming up.
0: An energy crisis sparked by the war in Ukraine. Europe has been scrambling for new energy sources with the risk of shortages looming and efforts to speed up a green transition left in limbo.
1: Soaring energy prices led to an inflationary spiral in much of the world. Consumer prices rose at their fastest pace in decades, with central banks struggling to get inflation under control.
0: China's long-standing zero-COVID policy slammed the brakes on economic growth there and raised questions about its place in the global supply chain.
1: And the saga that dominated the tech world, we look back at Elon Musk's controversial takeover of Twitter.
0: Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February was the defining event of 2022. The months of war have led to a huge loss of life and widespread destruction, as well as instability well beyond Ukraine's borders. It upset the geopolitical balance of the 21st century and threw off course the global economy's recovery from the COVID pandemic. The latest figures from the International Monetary Fund forecast a sharp slowdown in economic growth to 3.2% and 2.7% in 2022 and 23. In May, the head of the IMF told me the world was facing a confluence of calamities. It is indeed crisis upon a crisis, and we have not learned how to deal with multiple crises at the same time. Holistic approach requires to build resilience to shocks because we are living in a more shock-prone world. More of these shocks are going to come. Charles, let's start by looking at one of the most concrete shocks that is a direct result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that's Europe's energy crisis.
1: That's right. The moment Russian troops entered Ukrainian territory really changed the global energy landscape. Suddenly, Europe made the uh, political choice of ending its reliance on Russian fossil fuels when it had been one of its uh, biggest importers. Uh, An embargo on Russian oil, along with a G7-imposed price cap, are helping this change along. And while Europe aims to wean itself off Russian natural gas, uh, looking for imports of liquefied natural gas from the likes of Qatar or the U.S., that effort, looks weaker, even if Russia, in effect, decided to cut most gas supplies via pipeline. Uh, meanwhile, electric grid operators are scrambling to see how they'll get through winter, uh, with reduced supply calling on households and businesses to lower their consumption. They're also preparing for rolling blackouts and in some cases have even temporarily returned to burning coal. Uh, the biggest impact, though, uh, was soaring energy prices, leading to a painful cost of living crisis in many parts of the, of the world. Uh, in Africa, for instance, high energy prices uh, were an additional strain on economies that were hard hit by the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, still, some countries have turned uh, this crisis into an opportunity, refusing to take sides um, in the Ukraine war. India and China have bought Russian oil at discounted rates. The energy shock is also an opportunity to speed up the transition to green and renewable energy as the head of the International Energy Agency, Fatih Birol, told France 24 in September.
0: After winter, winter spring is coming. Uh, why do I say spring is coming? Because many governments are pouring money in clean energy uh, options, such as solar, such as uh, wind, such as nuclear power, such as electric cars. And in the In the United States, uh, recently, only a few weeks ago, there was a major uh, law, which is called the Inflation Reduction Act, which put about 400 billion U.S. dollars on the table in order to accelerate uh, the penetration of the clean energy options. High energy prices
1: have uh, contributed to rising inflation in most parts of the world, Kate.
0: Yeah, this is a trend that began in 2021, so before the war, but it really deepened in 2022 for a variety of reasons. Now, the pandemic had led to a supply-demand imbalance. Uh, Staggered closures in different parts of the world meant that factories weren't able to manufacture and ship products at the pace that was required. And in the US in particular, consumers were using their government stimulus money to buy goods, not services. Now, those supply chain disruptions were really worsened by the war in Ukraine. Uh, economies around the world were faced with shortages of things like wheat and fertilizer, which come from that region. The energy shock was really then the final blow that pushed inflation to levels we hadn't seen in decades. Inflation in the United States, United Kingdom and Eurozone peaked between 94 and just over 11% and put huge pressure on households and businesses. Central banks were forced to quickly abandon their pandemic-era stimulus and tighten monetary policy, including raising interest rates. That's intended to encourage saving rather than spending by making borrowing costs more expensive. But the analysts we've spoken to this year have consistently warned that central banks don't have a magic bullet when it comes to inflation and that overly aggressive shifts could spark a recession.
1: The first hikes at least will have little to no effect on inflation in the very near term. The first reason for that is that uh, the bulk of inflation is actually imported from outside, from commodity prices, from the currency weakness, from things like that. And only a small share is actually under the ECB's control. Certainly, when we look at the food and the energy components, those are completely outside of the Fed's control. So essentially, the Fed didn't really want to raise rates to try and tackle inflation, that it doesn't have the tools to to tackle proper, properly. So they wanted to wait to see how the consumer was looking. But then the Russia-Ukraine situation threw a big spanner in the works, and we saw another surge higher in food and energy prices to the point that the Fed could no longer wait to see what happened and had to act. And that's really what the central banks are now addressing. It's not the fact that it can control these external factors, but what it can do, if we look at the last year, there's plenty of evidence of this, businesses have been far more willing to pass on price hikes uh, to end consumers because they know they're able and willing to pay them, partially because of the pandemic and the, the excess savings that were built up during that period. This is the thing that the central banks do need to get a grip of. And this is why we're seeing rate rises, even if it can't address the majority of this important inflation.
0: Well, China plays a crucial role in all global developments. It's where the first cases of COVID-19 appeared about three years ago. And it's now struggling to find the right balance between controlling the virus and not stifling business activity.
1: Mm -hmm. And at the start of the year, China's zero COVID policy was still widely seen as a success inside the country. The stringent tracking, testing and quarantine requirements that came with it to an extent, um, allowed to keep the number of infections at a manageable level. And this meant that production lines could keep turning and the national healthcare system wasn't at risk of cracking. But more contagious variants of COVID-19 posed a starker challenge. And nowhere was this more apparent than in Shanghai. China's most international city was forced to lock down entirely for over two months, with people unable to leave their apartments. Popular discontent was on the rise and factory output was falling. Uh, Tesla's mega factory in uh, the city, for example, was forced to shut down for uh, three weeks. And later in the year, Foxconn's Zhengzhou factory also saw its output slashed and unrest among its workers. Uh, foreign businesses took note of this and made contingency plans. Groups like Apple uh, started to diversify their supply chains uh, to be less dependent on the world's factory, signing deals, for example, to produce iPads in Vietnam or iPhones in India. The government, though, kept hinting at a slow opening up of the economy, especially after the 20th Party uh, Communist Party Congress, which gave uh, President Xi Jinping um, unprecedented control. But After a series of anti-zero COVID protests broke out in early December, well, the authorities made an incredible uh, policy U-turn, lifting one by one most of the features of zero COVID. And going into 2023, the question will be whether the country's health system can deal with a number of infections it hasn't seen since the beginning of the pandemic and what impact what that might have on the economy. Well, this year, we spoke to Professor Chiang Tai-xie, and from an economic standpoint, he believes that it really can't be worse than zero COVID.
0: I think there's no question that it's been an unmitigated disaster. I mean, it's been, it's been um, the uh, growth is in, in the past year is down to levels that we haven't seen for decades. Uh, you see more and more international corporations leaving China because it's frankly impossible to operate in the zero COVID environment. Um, you see youth unemployment rising to levels that that uh, frankly we haven't seen for decades. It's reaching twenty percent.
1: And finally, he started the year as one of its biggest critics, but finished as its new boss. Uh, Kate. Tell us about Elon Musk and Twitter.
0: Well, he's long been a prolific user of the site. And in April, it was revealed that Elon Musk had become Twitter's biggest shareholder with a 9% stake. Now, he refused a seat on the board at that point, And instead, he made an offer to buy Twitter for $43 billion. You can see his tweet confirming the offer there. Just two weeks after that offer was accepted the deal was put on hold. Musk was disputing Twitter's claim that only 5% of its accounts were spam or fake, and he was demanding more information, more concrete data. Now, in July, Musk said he was backing out altogether, and Twitter filed a lawsuit to try and force the sale through. Just before that case went to court in October, Musk made yet another U-turn. Uh, he closed the sale at its original price, and he moved into Twitter's offices. Now, since then, he's fired about half of the workforce, including the CEO. Uh, he said that users would have to pay in order to have their accounts verified with that little blue check mark, uh, And he's seen a large number of advertisers their business. Now, this roller coaster hasn't just been unpredictable. It's also been very controversial. And that's largely because Musk has, among other things, said that he wants Twitter to be a bastion of free speech rather than a platform that cracks down on fake news and harmful content. That's ruffled a lot of feathers, and it's put him on a collision course with the European Union, which has already warned that that could violate its own strict rules on content moderation.
1: Well, the next chapter for Musk and Twitter will uh, certainly be on our radar as we begin 2023.
0: Yeah, that and many other stories shaping the business world. Don't forget, you can get in touch with your comments and questions on social media. Until then, thanks for watching. Special events. The Titans will clash in Qatar. the world's best players battle for the World Cup. From November 20th through December 18th. Don't miss World Cup news daily on France24 and France24.com.